Welcome to Season 1, Episode 6, Exploring Uranium. I'm your host, Ed Coyne, Senior Managing Director at Sprott Asset Management. Today's podcast is going to be a bit unique in that traditionally we've covered both gold, silver, and to a lesser extent, platinum and palladium. Well, in Exploring Uranium, I thought tonight would be a, a good time to talk about a unique part of the market. Because of its uniqueness, I asked two special guests to join me today. John Champaglia, our very own Sprott Asset Management partner, and an outside consultant and special guest, Per Yonder at WMC Energy. John, let's start with you and talk a bit about the structure of uranium and the product itself and why we're interested in it today. Sure. Thanks, Ed. Yeah, we're very excited to be adding the new uranium trust to our lineup of physical commodity funds. We've been interested in uranium for a number of years, and we're very happy that we've received overwhelming shareholder support on our acquisition of Uranium Participation Corp. We manage about $12 billion in different precious metals, uh, commodity funds, and uh, with the addition of the new Uranium Trust, that will add another approximately $600 million. The new Uranium Trust will be listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange. The tickers will be U.UN in Canadian dollars, and we are also, for the first time, offering a U.S. dollar purchase option to investors, and the ticker for that will be U.U. So we're excited about adding that new purchase option for uh, U.S. investors. The objective of the trust will essentially be the same as as it has been for Uranium Participation Corp for all these years, and that is to, to own physical uranium. And the new trust will hold the equivalent of about 19 million pounds of U308 or uranium oxide, or is commonly referred to as yellow cake. And I'm sure that sounds like a mind-boggling number, because it did to me when I first learned about that. Um, but to put it in context, um, a country like France, for example, about 70% of all of its electricity generation is from nuclear power. That amount of pounds of uranium would fuel those reactors for about nine months. So it's a tremendous amount of material that has an incredible amount of energy density that it can produce. I'm also pleased to introduce Pera from WMC Energy, who will be acting as our technical advisor to the trust, and they bring a lot of great experience in the uranium market. And um, he, along with his partner, Mandeep Ludu, um, have been really great to work with so far. And and Pera, let's go into your experience a bit. You know, coming in as a technical advisor into a unique asset like uranium, um, you're going to be clearly a valued partner to Sprott. Talk a bit about your background and your technical uh, experience and how you plan on working with us and, and helping advise us on the uranium market. Thank you very much, Ed. Thanks for having me. So, yeah, we're very excited to work with, with Sprott on this as well. And, uh, and uh, originally, I uh, grew up in Sweden and I've been in the uh, energy sector my entire career, more or less, and started out with some biomass and hydro energy and wasn't really sure what to think of uranium and nuclear energy to begin with. But I ended up working for a couple of utilities that had nuclear energy uh, assets and uh, spent some time there and I I really got excited about it. It's an amazing technology and it has a really big potential to make an impact. After working there for a couple of years, I then joined uh, the Canadian mining company Cameco, which is uh, large, one of the largest mining companies in the world when it comes to uranium, and uh, spent about 15 years with them in various roles in, in sales and trading and dealing with uh, utilities all over the world and other other producers. It's a small, quirky industry. All the producers know each other. There are some traders and intermediaries in there. And then again, the uh, the end users are all utilities and and 
all in all, it's maybe two, three hundred people. So once you get into that industry, a lot of people stay around because you tend to to work with people that you know. And after after Cameco, my colleague and I, we uh, we joined a couple of colleagues in Amsterdam in what's uh, WMC Energy. It's a physical commodity merchant, and we're at mostly active in the low carbon energy sector now. We focus mostly on the nuclear market, even though we're expanding into battery materials as well. But We've been talking to Sprott now for a little bit, and we're very excited to be part of, of this new initiative here. So I think we can add some value in just helping Sprott navigate in that, because Sprott is extremely good at what they do with the trusts and managing those. And now we feel we can add some value in navigating the, the grounds of uranium. Well, certainly the navigation is going to help at, really at all levels. I think the most important level is going to be the investment case level. You know, so often our investors come to us really as an advisor to the space and how to think about the space and why to invest in one metal versus another metal. Could you walk us through the investment case for uranium? What are you seeing out there? Where are the opportunities? Why do you like it right now? Uh, I, I think where you start there is just looking at the, the electricity demand, the, glo- the global electricity demand and how fast it's been growing. Like it's, it's been doubling since uh, the year 2000 and it's scheduled to, uh, to double again by 2040. The world is going to need electricity regardless of where you go. And especially now in the last couple of years, there's a lot of talk of decarbonization. And, uh, and it comes to setting a very aggressive targets on power generation. We're basically eliminating fossil fuels. It's obviously a very rapid expansion in the electrification of the transport sector. Like even now, it's like I don't think it goes a day without seeing an electric car on the roads. And this is in the Midwest still. And you're looking at a place like Norway where over half of the new cars sold are electric, uh, so it it really is a rapid expansion in that area. And uh, and the role then of nuclear energy, where that comes in, is of course like you're gonna have renewables. There's we're gonna need everything we have, and renewables is a great way of generating electricity. But where where nuclear comes in, I think is that you're gonna need a baseload energy, and that's traditionally where you've seen the fossil fuels, coal, oil, gas. Those are all. Um, they're all emission of greenhouse gases and, and nuclear energy obviously has very low or none. They have some emissions on a, on a life cycle view from cradle to grave, but on the power stations themselves, there are zero emissions. And on top of that, the, the reliability of them, that once you turn them on, they keep running. They, they run 90, 95% of the time. You only stop them to refuel and then you turn them back on again. So they're very efficient. One little fingertip of a fuel pellet is the same amount of energy content as, uh, as three bar- barrels of oil or, or a large one ton of coal. It's a very, very energy dense, which makes transport small. You don't need a lot of energy to transport any of these things. And mining techniques are also very efficient. Safety-wise, it's obviously a big concern. I mean, everybody hears uranium or nuclear energy, and they're all take a couple of steps back and they make some funny jokes about glowing in the dark and all those things. Over the lifetime of uh, of the nuclear power stations, and compared to other ways of producing electricity, it really is the safest one out there. If you could just for a minute talk about uh, nuclear energy and uranium in general, from the perception standpoint versus the reality standpoint, to help our listeners get comfortable with this part of the market. Um, what would you have them think about when thinking about uranium in general? I think a lot of the stigma around uh, nuclear energy comes from even the Cold War days, where, I mean, I know there was a, there was a movement in Sweden, it was called the, uh, the movement against nuclear energy and nuclear weapons, and they put that in the same sentence. 
And I think it's the connection between the two, and that's what that's what makes people worried about it or afraid of it. In my view, there simply is no connection. Like the, the civilian nuclear energy is completely different from uh, from the military aspect of things. So, and I think it's just a matter of getting comfortable with it. It's like if you are going to be concerned about climate change and sustainable development, I think nuclear has to be part of that. I would definitely encourage anyone who's thinking about this to to do some research on their own. There are some great sources of of information out there, and rather than convincing someone that this is better than the other there is really here are the sources have a look at it and and then make up your own make up your own mind i think that's really it helps it helps a lot in doing that let's shift gears back to the market for just a moment and talk about the bear case bull case of uranium over the last couple of decades we've clearly seen some tremendous run-ups over the years where it's enriched a lot of investors and we've seen some spectacular sell-offs over the years that have got investors sort of burnt or are cautious. Where are we in that cycle today? What kind of environment do you find ourselves in? And maybe expand upon that on, on the why. Why is the market becoming more bullish today in uranium? And I know you've touched on it from a, from a demand standpoint, but maybe go a little more into some market initiatives or market interest on where we are in the bull versus bear case for uranium today. I think most people who go into uranium, they will look at the price graph and they saw that something very significant happened, uh, say, 15 years ago, around 2005, 6, 7. It was basically in the last cycle, and it, it, in a way, it was quite similar to today. There was a growing concern for climate change. So there was some new uh, nuclear energy uh, power plants they were being announced. China grew their program quite aggressively. So they started stocking up, buying some uranium and stockpiling it. There were some uh, both American and uh, and Western European projects announced as well. And it felt like it was a momentum growing. Yeah, and, and there was definitely talk about that's why you had investors joining in as well. There were some banks coming in, funds. And, uh, and it really took off. And I think one of the things that compounded the spike back then was that a lot of uh, utilities were caught off guard. They did simply not carry that much inventory, and that just compounded the situation. That spike was pretty short-lived because I think the, the financial crisis hit. A lot of funding was simply just disappeared, and I think where policies were about to be put in place by different nations, they just got something else to focus on. we got to get out of this crisis, uh, and it's in almost like the... Uh, the climate change and and sustainable development argument kind of took a back seat. Then, obviously, a few years after that, Fukushima hit, and that definitely knocked the wind out of the sail, and it just went into hiatus for, call it, eight, nine years. The difference this time around is that you are seeing policies, actual policies coming into place in various parts of the world that that this, the political support simply wasn't there before. And now you're seeing it in, in Europe with the taxonomy. Nuclear energy is going to be included in that, which could be a huge boost for, uh, for nuclear investments in Europe. You're seeing the new administration in the United States are definitely considering saying that we're going to cut emissions by quite significant amounts. We're going to have a fossil-free power generation by 2035. In order to do this, nuclear has to be a part of it. And at the same time, Japan is going to put their nuclear power stations back online. They have some aggressive targets. And every time you have a new five-year plan from China come in, there are more and more reactors in there. So it just feels like there's a bit more 
momentum behind it this time around. And it's backed up by policies themselves and also investors starting to look around at this in a serious manner as well. Well, fantastic. We're really looking forward to our partnership with you all uh, going forward. And it'll be fun to maybe do part two of this in, say, six months and see where we are from an interest level standpoint and from an acceptable standpoint as far as as more investors start to look at the space. So stick around and we'd love to have you back in, say, six months or so as a checkup on where we are with Uranium. Uh, Before we wrap up today's podcast, I'd like to bring John Chapaglia back online and see if there's anything you'd like to leave us with, John. Sure. I just wanted to highlight a few key differences between the previous structure of the Uranium Participation Corp and the new trust. Uh, and all of these items I'm going to cover, uh, we believe are very shareholder friendly. I already previously mentioned the U.S. dollar purchase option. That'll be available for the first time. But more importantly than that, we will be providing daily disclosure of the trust's underlying holdings. Currently, that's done monthly. We will also be doing a daily valuation of all the trust holdings so people can see exactly what the net asset value is on a day-to-day basis. We think this is very important and will be very welcome added transparency for shareholders. Secondly, we'll also be implementing an at-the-market offering over the coming weeks and this will help to grow the size of the fund in a cost-effective way and more importantly it'll improve the liquidity of the trust which is very important to incent additional investors particularly larger institutions that want to get involved in in the uranium trade, this will be an added incentive for them to come into the the new trust. And then finally, we will be pursuing a a dual listing on on the New York Stock Exchange. And this will take several months because it's never been done before, but we are very keen. It was part of our commitment in the transaction that we would fully fund the cost to pursue this U.S. listing for shareholders. And we think this will be a key development to duly list the trust in the world's largest capital market. So we think that'll be a really big win if we can get that done sometime in 2022. Thank you, John. And, and for more information on Sprott and to learn more about uranium, we encourage all of our listeners today to please visit us at Sprott, com. And thank you again for listening to Season 1, Episode 6. I'm your host, Ed Coyne, Senior Managing Director at Sprott Asset Management. Thank you. listening to the Gold Talk podcast by Sprott Inc. For more information and insights on precious metals investing, please visit Sprott.com. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or recommendation from any Sprott entity to the listener. Neither Sprott nor any of its affiliates make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast. And any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Sprott, and Sprott is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Sprott to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any Sprott entity. Past performance is no indication of future results.